Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom up, America. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you live from uh, Los Angeles, where we've had two NFL teams for about 15 minutes. And guess what? They're both in first place. What? What's that, New York? New York's got two last place teams. They've had NFL teams forever. 15 minutes they've been in town, two first place teams. Uh, ships passing a night, Chargers and Chiefs, we will cover it. Plus, I'll give you my thoughts on why the College Football Selection Committee actually got it right. Actually got it right. Because everybody's getting caught up in things that they don't need to get caught up in. Same thing that happens in college basketball. Let's get to the story of the day. Uh, we always have a tendency to spend way more time talking about horrific football teams instead of the actual good ones, right? We'll spend some time talking about uh, Russell Wilson and why he reminds me of Aaron Rodgers, not necessarily as a player, but in terms of how much he's carrying a football team, but what ultimately that means for the Seahawks. Um, The sneaky team in the NFC, outside of the Packers, nobody's talking about. We'll get to that a little bit later on the show. We will talk some Charger football. We'll talk a ton about this college football playoff starting in about mm, seven to ten minutes. But um, what's the line from The Wire? You come at the king, you best not miss, right? That's what happened to Ben McAdoo. That's what happened to Jerry Reese. I mean, even if you listen to John Mara, and like John Mara is uh, as well-respected an owner in the National Football League as any you will find. Part of that is he's part of the fabric of the National Football League. Third-generation ownership like they are old school and so they're not really equipped for what they tried to do what they signed off on Eli Manning was sat down this week and here's what happened here is what's been widely reported and everybody in the Giants organization said this is what happened they went to Eli Manning and said hey man listen um, we're gonna start you and we're gonna bring in Davis Webb and get him some reps And Eli was like, no, either start me and play me and play me until you don't want to play me anymore and, and, uh, you know, let's win the games or don't start me at all. And somehow Eli came out as the good guy in that. Right. So 
by my estimation, you had two options. One is call his bluff. Start him anyway. Right? This is basically what happened with the Chargers on draft day. Remember? Eli Manning will not play for the Chargers. And the Manning family was like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. We're good with whatever. But behind the scenes, everybody said, not going to play for the Chargers. What did Eli say? Look, I'm a professional. I'm going to show up. I obviously want to play. He answered the questions perfectly. But the first family of football, okay, they work behind the scenes. You're hearing stories about how Peyton works behind the scenes with Jimmy Haslam to try and secure ownership for the family with an NFL team. So the two options, the first one, which was not a strong one, was start him anyway. The second one was would have been completely change your approach. Do you like Christopher Nolan movies? I know I do. He saved the Batman franchise. Amazing. I have not seen Dunkirk. I know, I know. Can't call yourself a Christopher Nolan fan, not seen Dunkirk. I, I just, I didn't get around to it this summer. I'm going to see it. And uh, it's not that hard to watch it on your TV now. But arguably his most interesting flick was Inception. And the idea of Inception is planting the idea inside, deep inside somebody's um, subconscious so they come up with the idea on their own. And that's how they should have approached it, which is call Eli in and say, Eli, uh, look, this season hasn't gone as well as we'd like. Um, we want to find a way to get Davis Webb in the game. How would you go about it if you were us? Make it Eli's idea. Give Eli ownership over the, listen, we wanted to start Eli and we talked to him about what he would do with Davis Webb. This was all Eli's idea. Instead, the way it was received was they embarrassed Eli Manning. They didn't embarrass Eli Manning. You know what's embarrassing? The New York Giants are embarrassing. They're a terrible football team. What would have been gained by Eli Manning starting against the Oakland Raiders this week? What would have been gained? Nothing. You win a game and you get worse draft position? Or you win a game, but you put your two-time Super Bowl champion quarterback out there behind a terrible, behind a terrible defensive line with Khalil Mack trying to take his head off. Like, tell me what, what what's gained. So his feelings got hurt. Big deal. Grow up. They should have traded him to Jacksonville in Week Five, like I told you. Tom Coughlin loved to have him. He's got Blaine Gabbert out there playing quarterback, and the Giants wouldn't have had to go through this. No, but what did I say? Did I say Blaine Gabbert? Hey, sorry, Blaine Gabbard is now terrible for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Blake Bortles is terrible for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm, I'm just out of my mind over this. Eli benched himself, but here's the problem with fake good leadership, right? The Giants' ownership, John Mara, said today, hey, don't blame those guys. We got it. We told him it was okay to bench Eli. And then, of course, they lied to all of our faces saying that's not why uh, they fired Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese a day after the game. They've never fired a coach midseason, ever. They've never fired a GM midseason, ever. And they just did it 10 minutes ago. Take a listen to the truths and the lies from John Mara. I don't think there was any one final straw. I just think where we are as a franchise right now, you know, we're two and 10. We've kind of been spiraling out of control. I just felt like we needed a complete overhaul. I signed off on that. But my hope was two things. One, that I was going to speak to Ben and try to get him to be a little bit more flexible about that, although I do not like interfering with coaching decisions about who's going to play, and I've never done that before. Also, as I said, I think the other day to you guys, was hoping that Eli would be playing so well that it'd be impossible to take him out. In any event, you know, it is where it is, and you ought to stop uh, blaming Ben and Jerry on that. If you want to blame anybody for that, blame me, because I I certainly had the power to overrule it if I wanted to. I chose not to do it. Right, listen, I can't think of a, there wasn't a straw that, Bull! With the other word that I'm not allowed to say on terrestrial, satellite, or any other kind of radio. Bull! It wasn't a straw that broke the camel's back. Yes, it was. You sat down Eli Manning, and people acted like you sat down, you told Jesus Christ he cannot speak to the apostles today. That's what you said. This is not going like, hey, Tom Brady needs to sit this week. They're terrible. They don't have any good wide receivers, and their offensive line sucks, and they haven't had a running game in years. Outside of that... 
Tell me what's good about the Giants' offense. And so they made the decision, and maybe maybe Ben McAdoo lacked the ability, the emotional, uh, uh, the emotional intelligence to understand how to relate to Eli and how to turn that conversation, allow Eli to make the decision on his own. But like, look, you all signed off on it. It's like, don't blame him. You just blamed him by firing him. Like, what a lie. But that's the problem these days. Nobody has the balls to make a really tough decision. To sit there and go like, hey, the Philadelphia, the 76ers didn't have the balls to trust the process. Sam Hinky, How'd that work out for it? I mean, what the Giants are doing is smart. It feels bad, but it's smart. By the way, it's what the Yankees did going back two seasons ago when they got rid of A-Rod. The difference is A-Rod was a completely unlikable figure. But they got rid of him with plenty of time left in the season. They got rid of Teixeira. These guys retired mid-season. Got rid of all of them. I mean, they trade away Andrew Miller. Did you hear any? Why? Because they had to get bad and play their young guys to see what they had. And then guess what? They're in the playoffs this year. The Knicks have done this the past two years. Same thing happened, by the way. They fired Phil Jackson. Why? Because you can't win with Carmelo Anthony. And I know the Thunder won last night, but it is ugly to watch the Thunder win with Carmelo Anthony. The Giants made the absolute right decision. But when ownership, when management does not have your back, you are destined to fail. You are absolutely destined to fail. This is a failure in ownership, a failure in management. Because if you come at the king, you best not miss. If you're going to sit the Manning family, you know you're going to get a call from Papa Manning. How dare you do this to my son? He's on pace to break Brett Favre's all-time season, second and all-time starts or whatever. And it takes some big nuts to take that phone call and go, uh-huh, 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 got it, click, still doing it. But instead, you fire the coach, you fire the gentleman. And look, I don't think he's a good coach. And the general manager had plenty of time to remake this roster. They did so on the fly. They've drafted poorly at times, you know. They have malcontents. They haven't handled the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. Then OBJ gets hurt. Everybody else gets hurt. Offensive line's not good enough. Like, look, I'm not saying these guys deserve to keep their job, but don't sit here and lie to me as a human being and tell me you've never fired a coach, never fired a general manager in the middle of the season. You're like, I can't think of a straw that broke this camel's back. Yes, you can. Eli got sat. Everybody freaked out. All of New York lost their collective minds when it's the absolute right thing to do, and you signed off on it. And then you're like, I can't believe that these guys are gone when you just fired them, essentially putting the blame on them. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, let's welcome in Barrett Salee, who, of course, you can hear on uh, ESPNU Radio. He works for CBSSports.com. You see him all over. Guy knows college football. He joins us now on the Doug Gottlieb Show, college football analyst for CBS Sports. He joins us on the Doug, uh, Doug Gottlieb Show. Um, when... When you saw the four, final four teams in the college football playoff, what was your reaction? Uh, well, the first three were obvious. The fourth, my, my general reaction was, okay, um, because, I mean, I, I thought they should have gone with Ohio State because uh, it has really nothing to do with the resume, uh, but just the simple fact that I think um, people using the eye test to – slide Alabama in, I don't necessarily think has paid much attention to how Alabama's actually been playing. Yep, uh, Their offensive line has been atrocious for the last month. Um, their defensive line has been averaged by Alabama standards. Their offense has not evolved. So uh, let's be real about why Alabama got that nod. It has nothing to do with eye test. Because if we're talking eye test and being intellectually honest, then Auburn's the fourth-best team in the country. But Auburn lost three games, so you're not going to put them in. The reason Alabama got in is because of brand identity. The reason Alabama got in is because of the script A on, uh, on those, those polo shirts that Nick Saban wears. That's it. That's the only reason. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I, look, I, I don't, I'm not going to disagree with you and say you're, you're wrong about how Alabama has played. Um, and a lot of the defensive stuff, there's been some injuries, especially at linebacker, uh, to which they've had some shuffling going around. 
I've never been you – know, everyone raves about Jalen Hurts and, like, he can't throw the football accurately. He just, he just cannot. At, at this point in his career, we've had two years now of watching him, and he's very hit or miss as a passer. That said, like, there are times in which Auburn looks inept. And granted, when Auburn has a running back uh, – carry on Johnson is hurt, they're going to be totally different in terms of their ability to run the football. But they've, all, they've been a different team away from the Plains than they have been when they're playing at home. And if you want to say it was Ohio State, it's like, look, Ohio State was fiddling around with Wisconsin, who I just think, you know, outside of being very well coached and good on special teams, they're average in terms of their level of talent. They just played a soft schedule. Like, I don't think any of those three teams have overwhelmed me uh, in certain instances. Isn't that, a, isn't that a fair way? And, yes, the three losses is, if you want to go, then you're going to the USC of last year theory, which USC sure. I thought should have been in last year. But, well, but, and, and here's the thing, and they all have flaws. And so for Alabama, the, the, the issues are what they are. For, for Ohio State, it's two losses, one by you know, 31 points to Iowa. And for Auburn, it's, uh, it's, it's Gus Malzahn, coach scared in two games. And then the third, they had, they had their star injured. So, you know, and that, that just sort of proves my point. That's why my reaction was just sort of, okay, Alabama's in at, at number four. I, I don't really think it matters all that much, to be honest with you, because I think there's a, a huge gap from – Number three, whichever team you want to put third out of the, the top three seeds, you know, in this case it's Georgia, there's a huge gap from Georgia back down to number four, whoever number four is this year. And, and people will tell you, well, uh, Alabama passes that eye test. Well, no. I mean, they, they pass the eye test by, by, you know, physical standards. Sure, they've got the most talented roster in the country. Um, and, and, but that's, that's not why that, that doesn't prove anything. Uh, Vegas lines quite literally don't prove anything other than where dumb money goes publicly in, in gambling circles. So, you know, I, to, to me, I, I think all, all that we found out yesterday and really the debate that we've had for the last 48 hours is that there's a huge gap between three and four, and, and nobody's willing to say that. And, and that's what's really surprising is that nobody's willing to sit, go out there and say, hey, you know what? This might be just a year where Georgia, Clemson, and Oklahoma are really good teams, and then after that, we have no flipping idea. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a very fair way to look at it. Barrett Salee joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show works for CBS Sports as well as a bunch of other entities covering college football. Does a great job of it. Um, uh, how much of the Big Ten's last two years' failures? Right, last two years outscored sixty-nine nothing in the college football playoff. I know they can say doesn't play a factor. But in the back of your mind, do you think at all that's a factor? I'd like to think no. Um, you know, knowing some folks in the, you know that that, have, that are in that room, I'd like to think that that wouldn't have a factor. That they would just judge it based on uh, on on what's going on. Because you know, if, if it was a team, Michigan State, that wasn't a darling, a, a media darling, then then um, you know maybe I'd be more apt to believe something like that. But it's Ohio State. I mean. It, Ohio State gets everything <laughs> uh, until yesterday. So, um, you know, yeah, the Big Ten struggles the last couple of seasons in, in the playoff is, are well documented, and we all know what happened. But, um, you know, I, I think they just flat out said, look, you know, yeah, your, your wins are great, three, three top 16 wins or whatever they are, but those losses are bad and their inconsistency is, is, is what hurt them. So, you know, I – I don't necessarily think it, it has really anything to do with Big Ten or residual effect from two straight shutouts in the playoff. To me, it's more just about the fact that they look at that team, and, and I really think this this you know point sort of gets expanded to you know the playoff committee in general. I think the last four years, to me, have proven that by and large they don't really look at conference affiliation at all, other than perhaps conference championships at times. It's just more about the team itself and what that particular resume entails. And, and sure, you have to pay attention to, you know, those teams that they played. And obviously most of those are going to be conference games. But I don't necessarily think conference power in and of itself is, is really relevant anymore. I, it certainly was in the BCS. That's why, you know, down in my neck of the woods, people pounded their chest and yelled FEC, FEC, FEC for, for seven or eight years, whatever it was. Um, because that perception mattered. Like, obviously, you know, you go back to the last year of the BCS, the reason Auburn played the title game was because of that perception when Michigan State was a one-loss team, too. Um, but now I, I, don't, I don't think 
conference power has anything to do with it. I, I think it's, it's mostly just based on the team themselves and, and what their resumes entail. Uh, okay, help me out with Arkansas and Tennessee are both still open as Gus Malzahn turned down a monster offer to remain at Auburn, so he's not going back home to Arkansas. Um, your, your thoughts on the Tennessee situation, which felt like a coup d'etat, and ended up with <laughs> Philip Fulmer. It was. It was a coup d'etat, and Philip Fulmer's now the AD. Uh, is that thing stable enough now to, to, uh, to actually become a job you can win at, in spite of the fact that so many have run away from that job in the last week and a half? Yeah, it's still a job you can win. I've got great facilities. Um, a division that outside of Georgia is is pretty pretty winnable, or at least you know able to be you know relevant in. So uh, from a facilities perspective, Tennessee's you know right up there. From a budget perspective, they're tops in the country. They spend a ton of money. So yeah, I mean it, it's still a desirable job. The instability, yeah, that's that that's a problem. That's uh, that's on John Curry, um, and, and really everybody within that. Um, that administration, whether it be you know Philip Fulmer undermining Curry or whatever, the whole thing's been bungled. So um, you know, I, I think a coach, I think a lot of coaches look at it and say, okay, um, that's great that you're Tennessee. That's great you have all that working for you, but it's just really something I want to step into. And you know, that's not a question that would have been asked four weeks ago. That that question would have just been assumed. Yeah, of course, I want an SEC job without a doubt. Uh, now I think they have to sell it a little bit more, which is why. Maybe they're they're sort of struggling to find guys. I, I think they'll fill it quickly. I think um, you know Mike Norvell, Chad Morris. Um, these are guys that I think uh, should and will be relevant in that in that uh, discussion in the next you know couple uh, of days. I think they're certainly relevant at Arkansas as well. So uh, you know it's it's just change. You, you you can't really go out there and get a powerful superstar, you know, control freak coach um, because. You've got an AD that basically, like you said, coup d'etat. Um, that's that's that prevents you from going out and getting, you know, Jimbo Fisher or John Gruden or you know whoever. But doesn't necessarily mean you won't get a good coach either. Uh, last thing, um, the Florida State thing's interesting, right? Like they they never really they were never really in love with Jimbo. He was never really in love with them. He gets seventy five <laughs> million over over ten years to go to A and M, and like, look, he uh, he's. Like everybody who goes to AM, it's the same thing. I can't believe the facilities. Everybody wants to win. And then you wake up and you realize you're in uh, College Station, you know, and it's a little bit, little bit harder uh, than, you, than you thought it would be. All that said, so Florida State now, let's say it's Willie Taggart, which some reports say it's done. Some reports say they haven't even talked. Let's say it's Willie Taggart. Uh, is Florida State <laughs> going <laughs> are, are, are they going to be back to being Florida State with Willie Taggart? Yeah, um, because Willie is. Uh, fantastic offensive coach knows how to call plays, knows how to motivate players, uh, and that'll sell well, especially in Florida. He's done it before, obviously in South Florida. Um, you know, and, and the staff he brings, if he brings Levitt with him, uh, and perhaps Cristobal with him too. You know, these are guys that are you know going to continue and probably recruit even harder than some of the guys that were on that Seminole staff before. So, yeah, with his Willie, then then Florida State's going to be back in 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 a in a short short order no no question about it i think this year um was the culmination of a bad um bad sort of mixture of of luck with the andre francois injury um stubbornness from jimbo and his staff uh because some of these coaches that he had on staff should probably not have been there um an offensive line that has been awful for three years uh they still got talent there, and it's just got to be developed, and then they've got to supplement it with good recruiting. It's a lot like when Mark Rick left Georgia. Uh, Georgia had a pretty solid talent base, but it was not developed. Um, and, and if Willie comes in, the, the recruiting will pick up again, and the talent that's already there will be developed, uh, and, and you're looking at a, a pretty quick turnaround. Okay, so what does that mean? Can Scott Frost do the same thing at Nebraska? People are like, well... It's a home run. You bring him back home. And I love Scott Frost, but he's still in Nebraska. They don't play in Texas anymore. He may have coached in, in Florida and recruited in Florida. That's, it's great to say, like, we're going to get all those recruits and we're going to bring them out to Nebraska, but it's a little bit, little bit tougher level of competition when you're in the Big Ten. Likelihood of success for Scott Frost in Nebraska. Well, I mean, I think in the Big Ten West, it's, it's the likelihood of them being relevant in that division every year is pretty high. Um, does that mean they're going to be a national championship contender? No. Uh, that means they're probably going to be a nine-win team every year, which is why they fired Bo Pelini a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, I, 
it's the right system. He, he, he'll make it work. Um, and, and that's the, they need to be unique. And that's the thing with Nebraska, because you're not going to recruit in Texas the way you used to 20 years ago, and, and you're sort of you know in, in your own little bubble, you have to be unique. And in that particular division, going spread is, is definitely unique. You don't see it from Wisconsin, obviously. You don't see it from Iowa. You don't see it really from anybody in, in, on that side. Uh, so if you have a really good coach who can, you know, differentiate that program and, and Scott can, then, then they'll be relevant in that division and, and contend for the title every year. But um, that also means that, you know, from a talent perspective, you're still going to get out athlete at a time. And, and Nebraska fans, I think, realize that now. I think they, they recognize that it's a lot harder to win in Nebraska now than it was 20, 30 years ago. And if you're just in that conversation every year, that, that should be good enough moving forward. Nebraska, to me, is like the Arkansas of the SEC West. You know, every two or three years, they should be, ha- they sh- they should be able to be relevant and be in contention and, and have a good year uh, in terms of maybe making a splash into the top ten. Uh, but they should always be sort of on the periphery of the division, at least in some way, shape, or form. And they haven't really done that at Arkansas lately, and they haven't done that in Nebraska in a long time. He's a, uh, a Heisman Trophy voter. He's a writer and analyst for CBS Sports. He's got his own show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. He knows all about college football. Barrett Salee. Barrett, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. For the season, Russell Wilson has thrown or run for all but one touchdown. The entire year, he has thrown or run for all but one touchdown. That's crazy. Their offensive line, not very good. Uh, their defensive line is playing better. Defensive backfield, not great. Played well last night. Of course, when they play at home, they just hang all over you. It's like, don't even want to call a foul. They don't even want to call a penalty. I mean, Philadelphia gets called for a pick play. <laughs> when, when, when Seattle, it's just, blatant, it's just blatant the defensive pass interference. It doesn't get called in the exact same series. Still, you watch Russell Wilson and... I've never been a huge Wilson guy simply because he's not great from the pocket. I'm not sure if he could be great from the pocket this year because there is no pocket. Simply doesn't exist. Without Richard Sherman, without Cam Chancer, without Cliff Averill, they've won three of their last four games. And granted, two of the teams they've beaten, Niners, suck. Uh, and the uh, the Cardinals aren't particularly good either. And the losses are... I mean, they even have a home loss to the Redskins in which he was outdueled by Kirk Cousins. They lost to the Falcons. That was at home. But you look, they got Jags next on the road, Rams at home, at Cowboys, Cardinals at home. At minimum, they're going to go 2-2. Two and two. They're going to go 10-6, and and they're going to go to the playoffs. 10-6 and six gets you in the playoffs. And so there's, there's two different parts to it. What he's doing in terms of carrying this football team, and he's carrying them, is akin to what we saw from Aaron Rodgers last year. right? Remember Aaron Rodgers in the defensive backfield because they had injuries, and it was never Legion of Boom, L-O-B, before injury. Like They were okay, and then they all got hurt, and now they're starting guys who were sweeping up after the team in week one are now starting in the NFC Championship game, right? Um, So... Simply to get them there shows the value of a true franchise quarterback. Like a, a true franchise quarterback can take eh and somehow will you to the playoffs. That's what Russell Wilson's doing. I'm not saying he's as good as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is better than anybody I've ever seen doing. I'm saying the effort and the ability to carry a team is akin to what Aaron Rodgers had to do carrying his own team in a different way last year in Green Bay. It also should be pointed out that eventually, eventually, the lack of talent in the defensive backfield, the lack of a running game, the lack of an offensive line, you you get into big boy football to the playoffs, and it, that one guy does not, you can't will it. Will it. The, the run around and throw something up is not going to end up working out well for him. Either he's going to get hurt or they're going to be badly, and there's a chance that both happen. But... I can't tell you how much I think respect has been earned by uh, Russell Wilson, a guy who even his own defensive teammates have disrespected over the years. 
Everybody's talking about like, look, he's little. He's not good from the pocket. He kind of runs around back there. But have you ever seen a guy throw as as accurately with as strong an arm on the run? Wentz made that 45-yard throw on one foot last night, which was like, it was, it, he's like a cyborg. Like, that's not human. But that's what Russell Wilson does all the time. Like, I've never seen anyone throw on the move as accurately as uh, with as strong an arm as that cat right there. Truly something special to watch. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Let's welcome in D'Angelo Williams, two-time Pro Bowler. Joins us every week. He's always super prepared as well, having watched seemingly every game in the NFL and have an opinion on all of these teams. Uh, we start, D'Angelo, as we start every week. Who made the dumbest decision in the NFL this past weekend? Rob Gronkowski. I still, for the life of me, have no idea why Gronk would try to purposely end someone's career because he was either held and or picked. Like, I, 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 that was one of the worst plays that I've seen since I've been playing football, where a guy injures the, and and then he, he gets a concussion on top of it, the guy that he, he threw the elbow at. Like, who, do, who does that, Doug? Tell me who does that. Like, the perennial guy that he is, the future Hall of Fame tight end, that he is, the one that, that parties in the offseason, they go, don't get any flack for, the one that wasn't even flagged on the sideline, for the incident that he did, like, what would make him do that? I guess just frustration. I mean, like, and, and it was... It how, was the would you, how, would you, how are you frustrated? Tell me how you frustrated, Doug. You're on one of the best teams in the AFC. You're, you're second in the division. The third place is a game and a half behind you, so you don't have to worry about that. You guys are kicking these guys' ass up and down the field. What frustrates you? Tell me, Doug, please. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, you asked me. I'm, I, all I can say is, you know, you're being grabbed and held the entire day. That's how he handled it. And by the way, he handled it in a completely immature way, which shouldn't surprise us because he's grunk. He seems to handle everything in an immature way. No? Doug, I'm so tired of that word being thrown around when we talk about grunk, him being immature. At some point, he's playing a grown man sport. He's getting a grown man paycheck. And so far, he's getting a slap on the wrist for everything he's doing. He's getting that immature slap on the wrist for everything he's done since he's been in the National Football League that other guys have been uh, virtually kicked out of the league for. Like, like This is unbelievable. And then he gets a one-game suspension that he's probably going to appeal and play the next week. This is insane to me. And like The NFL made the second dumbest decision by suspending him for one game. Because if there's a guy that has that history in terms of borderline dirty plays, and he was to do that, it's four games. So now if I'm an NFL player and I get pissed off and uh, I feel like I want to purposely injure somebody and I don't have that track record, I know for a fact that the worst that they can give me is one game because now I can use Rob Gronkowski's incident as a reminder. Like, hey, you only gave him one game. What's the difference between me and him? He purposely injured a guy and gave him a concussion. I purposely injured a guy, and you gave me three or four games. What's the difference? Yeah, I don't. So now I, I have mean, an argument on my hand. I mean, like, listen. Obviously, we know we know way more about playing the actual game of football than all the rest of us do. But to the outsider, we look at it and we're like, look, dude, he, he just body slammed a guy because he was mad, and the guy happened to be concussed. I don't know if that's as bad as you know intentionally spearing a guy or like taking off your helmet and swinging at a guy. Uh, it it just happened to end up in a concussion, Doug, and I think that's why he Doug, gets suspended. Did you see the play? He didn't body slam the guy. The guy was on the ground. He threw a forearm in the back of the guy's head while he was on the ground after the play. Whistle's blown. He's out of bounds. On the ground. There was no body slam. This is no A.J. Ramsey. This is none of that. He was on the ground, play over, and Rob runs up to him and forms in the back of the head. Look at the play, Doug. You got to look at the play. You obviously didn't see the play. No, I saw, I, saw, I, play. I, I saw the play 15 times over. I'm looking at the play right now. Look, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to defend it. I just think that there's, like, it was it was bad. It was dumb. Um, and he gets suspended for it. I don't know what the level of punishment that would be appropriate. Like, you, like four games? Is that, that seems like, that seems too harsh to me. 
Okay, I'm glad that you said it seems too harsh for you. Doug, that's your son. He just got four of them in the back of the head. How many games do you want that guy that did it, the perpetrator, to get suspended for? I don't know. It's it's football, man. Like he's a that, that dude's a grown man. You know, put he basically somebody else on uh, somebody on his team should come and t- should have taken out Gronk, right? Protect your boys. No, well then if you take out if you take out Gronk, then now you retaliate and you're gonna get a bigger fine than anybody else and suspended even more because of the name Gronk had. This is what I found out about the NFL. Depending on what level of player you are, if you're the Gronkowskis, the Aaron Rodgers, if you're the uh, Tom Brady's of the world, if those guys do something, they're slapped on the wrist because that name brings fans, it brings money, it's, it's a higher echelon of athletes. But if somebody do that to them, that punishment is a lot higher depending on the guy that does it. D'Angelo Williams joining us in the Doug Gottlieb Show here on uh, Fox Sports Radio. I'm not a huge Russell Wilson guy normally. Um, not great for the pocket. And I also think that if his if his if the guys on his defense feel like he's got a little bit of phony in him, like I don't think you can fool your own teammates. That said, dude, he's responsible for all but one touchdown. Partially responsible for all but one touchdown. Um, he's either run or thrown for all but one this year in Seattle. The LOB is uh, almost dismantled because of these injuries. Offensive line hasn't been great. Run game is non-existent. I got, I can't tell you how much respect I, I've I've grown to have for Russell Wilson. When you see him play, what do you think? Okay, so first of all, Legion of Boom is no more. Okay, let's make sure we get that straight. The Legion of Boom, uh, the players that they have in it right now, it's the Seattle Seahawks defense. So I'd appreciate it if you call them by their name not by the nickname that they developed when they was actually stopping offense, okay? Let's make sure we get that out of the way. So it's the Seattle Seahawks defense. Uh, but as far as seeing Russell Wilson play, I, I, I mean, I think he's doing a great job. Uh, somebody said that, you know, they reminded him of Aaron Rodgers of last year. I think that's what you said, right? Yep. You said, and, and I mean, that, that has to be great. All he has to do is win one more game because Aaron Rodgers made it to the NFC Championship game and lost to Atlanta. And they they advance, so all he has to do is be one game better than Aaron Rodgers was last year. So, in my opinion, you just gave him a huge compliment. He's doing everything it takes to win a football game in Seattle with more players than Aaron Rodgers had. So I think they got to get that run game going after they lost Beast Mode and they got Eddie Lacy and they. I, I don't know what they're trying to do. They thought Rawls was the answer. He's banged up a bunch of the time. They don't really know what they're going to get out of that backfield from night to night, but they do know what they're going to get out of Russell Wilson. So I'm going to hang on to Russell Wilson and let him do it because I believe in him more than I do those running backs back there because I don't know what I'm going to get out of them from week to week. You told and me the offense, the offensive line, you don't know who's going to play. You, you told me I was crazy five weeks into the season for saying that the Giants should trade Eli Manning to the Jags. Jags need a quarterback. They're quarterback away, and the Giants are going nowhere. So they, they decide to sit Eli Manning last week for Geno, and now the GM gets fired, the coach gets fired, and I don't know, the best thing that could happen was they lost that game to the Oakland Raiders to help them for their, help their draft stock, uh, help their draft placement uh, for the upcoming uh, NFL draft. Like, am I, am I missing something? I, I, don't, I don't understand what would have been gained by putting Eli out there. He didn't want to start and be pulled for Davis Webb. And they're better off losing anyway. He doesn't have a good offense line. Doesn't have doesn't have his wide receivers, and he doesn't have a good running game. Like, what what am I missing about why Eli Manning is unbenchable by some people's estimation? It it, it blows my mind. It's it's the and I'm going to piss a lot of people off when they say this. But guess what, guys? I don't care because I'm not emotionally tied to these conversations or these words that I'm about to give you. These are words of wisdom. When the Indianapolis Colts got rid of Peyton Manning. They said he was done. They had one waiting in the wings with one Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning was always good, but he only won one Super Bowl for the Indianapolis Colts. Always can get him there close to it, but couldn't do it. They got rid of him. I'm a firm believer that the Denver Broncos would have cut Peyton Manning at the end of his last year when he won the Super Bowl. Instead, Peyton Manning retired because he didn't have it anymore. He doesn't have the arm. He couldn't perform. So I'm basically getting into this. This is the paid Manning rule. It's, hey, he's had a very successful career. He's living off the backs of those that worked for him back in the days when he won those two Super Bowls. He is not the two Super Bowl winning quarterback 
that we once knew. We understand that. He is not unbenchable, as we've seen this weekend. They benched his ass and didn't think twice. What I have a problem with is that the guy upstairs, the, the main guy that fired Reese, Jerry Reese, and fired McAdoo, I think he's a coward. And he was coerced into getting rid of him because of the backlash of benching Eli Manning. That was the right decision. Yep. That was the right call. And, 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 by, and, and by the way, D'Angelo, by the way, he um, John Mara, who's the owner, said, I approved the decision. And then he's like, this, this isn't really the reason we're firing him. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> of course it's the reason you're firing I've said it, and I've said it uh, time and time and time and time and time and time again. The NFL as a whole, including the owners and most of the players, it is a reactive league. It is not a proactive league. And it's all based on the reaction from the fans, and it's money-driven. If the fans are like, hey, you know, everything he's done for you, I'm not coming to games, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, then they start throwing loads of money at certain people or they start taking loads of money from certain people. Uh, as you can see, you know, they were losing money through the NFL protest. Hey, we're going to donate $100 million to fight that. Now, please, everybody stand so we can get back to making the money that we suppose, that we deserve. Giants, you bench Eli. They have the fan reaction. There's an issue. Guess what? We're going to get rid of what potentially caused the issue. Even though I'm the head of this snake, I'm going to cut the body off or I'm going to cut the thumb off to save my hand although the thumb is the most important part of the hand. So we're going to get rid of Jerry Reese. We're going to get rid of uh, Ben McAdoo because these are the issues or the problems that we're having because you shouldn't have benched Eli Manning. But guess what? Eli Manning's going to come back to start, and they're going to lose the rest of their games too because it, it doesn't give – I don't give a damn who your quarterback is. Aaron Rodgers could be playing that offense. They haven't did anything on the offensive line. They haven't did anything with the wide receivers because all the, everything centered around OBJ – we put him on the right-hand side. We're going to design a play for it to go to the left because we know they're going to double-team him. You can, look at, you can look at the Giants and know what they're going to do. They have no running game, and then their defense is average at best because they feed off their offense. D'Angelo Williams, every week, brings the really, really good stuff for us. Uh, if you missed any of it, download the podcast, Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. D'Angelo, uh, great stuff. We'll look forward to talking to you next right, week. Man. You didn't give me your dumbest decision of the week, though, Doug. My dumbest decision of the week? Yeah. I didn't know I had to give you one. Like, you put me on the yeah. spot here. Um, yeah. God, man, I watched a lot of football this week. Uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> dumbest decision of the week. I, should, I would just probably stick with... It wasn't the benching Eli. It was not having... I wouldn't have benched Eli. Okay. Here's what I would have done. What? Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, let me, hold on. We actually agree, but you got to give me a second. All right. right. You got two options here because of how powerful the Manning family is. Option number one is they went to Eli and they said, Hey, Eli, we're going to start you, but we're going to bring Davis Webb off the bench. And he was like, I ain't starting. I call his bluff. What do you mean you're not starting? Of course you're starting. You're a starting quarterback. You start him and then you pull him. Second option is this. You go to Eli, and you don't say you're going to bench him. You don't say you're going to put Davis Webb in. You simply approach it like this. Listen, Eli, we, we love you. You've been our guy forever. We need to take a look at Davis Webb. How would you advise us to take a look at Davis Webb seeing live bullets? And then you put it on him, and then it becomes Eli's decision. Instead, the way in which the story is told is Ben McAdoo came in and benched Eli Manning, and now everybody freaks out. And as you said, NFL is reactive league. So to me, I wouldn't have benched him per se. I would have allowed him to bench himself. Or if he says, hey, I ain't starting, just start him anyway. Just start him anyway. And then you can pull him out of the game. And no one's going to no one's going to. They pulled him in the fourth quarter against the Raiders yesterday. Nobody would care. That's crazy to me that you even have to go to a player as a head coach and get permission to bench him when it's supposed to be your team. Like, think about what you just said. I know. Regardless of I know. what the hey, damn hey, is. Hey, look, Bob McNair, Bob McNair got in trouble because he used, because of the, con, the the discussion they were having. But this is the inmates running the asylum and inmates running the prison thing, right? Like, you got to have more control than the players if you really want to run an organization. I think the biggest problem is that McAdoo, uh, he and, and uh, uh, 
the, the, the GM, the coach thought that the owner had their back. And then the second things got hot, the owner's like, <laughs> I don't have your back. You're fired. That's what happened. That, that's, that's it. That's the truth. That's the God of truth. And like, so with that being said, do you think there's loyalty in football? No, I don't think there's loyalty in football. That's no, I think there's, I want to hear, right. I don't think, I don't think there's loyalty in most any, most anything that people are like crazy loyal to Eli, but even that one, I don't get like, when was the last time they were good? They've been good once in the last six years. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. All right, Thank it's good, you. It's good. Right. To, it's good to know before the new year that we can actually agree on something. D'Angelo Williams. Yeah, it is. All right, D'Angelo. We'll talk to you next week. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. And now, Clay Travis found a topic outside of the University of Tennessee to talk about today. Apparently, the Minnesota Vikings, um, who, as of now would have the best record and the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. He said this about the Vikings. I still don't believe in them. I'm sorry, Minnesota. I know you're hosting the Super Bowl. I know all the Viking fans out there right now are sitting around saying, not only are we going to make the Super Bowl and kind of end this awful disaster of Minnesota sports runs, but we're actually going to be hosting the Super Bowl in our home football stadium, and the Vikings are going to be there, baby. No, you're not. I'm not going to sign off on Case Keenum. Even though you're 10-2, and two, even though you keep covering and winning, I just, I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer. I'm not willing to take the leap of faith, even though there's ample evidence. It's funny, Viking fans come after me now because I've been on this kick for a couple months now where even though the Vikings are highly uh, seated in the playoffs, I just don't believe in them. I think right now, if we get to the playoffs, first of all, we know the long, tortured history of the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. So even Viking fans are like, oh, you know what? I'd rather have doubters than I would believers. And I don't frankly believe that even very many Viking fans really believe in Case Keenum. But I like the Saints. I still like the Saints to win the NFC right now. All right, so he likes the Saints. The problem with the Saints is nobody thinks they can win outside of their dome, albeit they would play in a dome if they played Minnesota. I think that the big issue with uh, with evaluating the Saints and Drew Brees now, as opposed to, uh, you know, like what they are now, as opposed to what you think they are, is like evaluating Case Keenum, what he is now, as opposed to what you think he is. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Like, if Drew Brees was 32, like, this would be a wrap. This would be a wrap. And maybe uh, with the emergence of their wide receivers, with Alvin Kamara emerging as, an, as a superstar uh, running back and just an incredible uh, one-two combination with him and Ingram. But what, what we've seen in the National Football League over, over time is, one, Saints not good away from home. Two, defense, top 10 defense always trumps top 10 offense. Always. Um. And so you're basically holding Case Keenum against the Vikings, which I guess is fair because historically, why wouldn't you next to Drew Brees? But the biggest thing Case Keenum has always had to fight is, well, I guess two things, arm strength issues and lack of size, which, oh yeah, by the way, is exactly what Drew Brees always fought, arm strength issues and lack of size. And what helped Drew Brees? Playing in a dome. Playing in a dome. Take away all those other factors and all of a sudden now you can throw a football. And the Vikings have the far superior defense. Vikings have the best defense in the NFL. I don't think it's all that close. I know the Eagles get a ton of credit, but they got exposed a little bit last night. Uh, Jags, it's hard to tell because what would they be like if they had, I guess, what would they be like if they had legit offense? On the other hand, their offense, because they run the ball so much, they shorten the game. And so they only have to be on the field for eight or nine possessions. Personally, I'm I'm a I'm a Vikings are the best defense guy. Steelers uh, statistically have allowed the fewest yards. Vikings are third in points allowed. It's actually the Jacksonville Jaguars, but some of that is they've played against fewer plays, fewer plays given up, fewer points scored. The Minnesota Vikings uh, are are second, first, second, or third in every defensive statistical category. They allowed the second fewest running yards. Um. They're actually a little bit lower in, in passing yards, but in plaster completion percentage, they're nasty. 
Like, look, my big thing is, I don't think Minnesota's great, but I don't think anybody in the NFC is great because because of injuries. Aaron Rodgers' injury, plus doesn't have the greatest roster. Um, Seattle, because of injuries on their, on their team. I'm not ready to buy the Rams because we haven't seen Jared Goff in the playoffs. I think that's fair. Saints are good. I think the Saints are spectacular. Their defense is okay. Like, tell me who blows you away in the NFC. Even if it's the Cowboys, if they're healthy, the Cowboys could be that sneaky team in the NFC. They get in, you got Ezekiel Elliott, you get Sean Lee, they're a completely different team than the one you've seen. What does the fuck say? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.